Hi, my name is Molly Sanders, and I've been horse crazy from birth. I've spent my life helping people from my years in the classroom to becoming a horsemanship instructor, and now as a facilitator of online learning experiences. My journey has been filled with twists and turns, some of them bringing moments of elation and others humbling me to my core. One of the most powerful tools that has helped me along the way is talking to people I admire and finding out how they navigate the twists and turns of the journey. My goal of this podcast is to bring you conversations from a variety of horsewomen and men to help you on your journey. I'm grateful you're here. Welcome to the second episode of A Learner's Journey podcast. I'm really excited to share this one with you. It's a conversation I've had recently with a wonderful horseman named Charlie Snell. I met Charlie a couple of years ago thanks to the wonderful Bamey Ranch in Eatonville, Washington. And when I first saw him, I knew that he had something special, what he was doing with the horses and how he was talking to the people. I was very intrigued, but it wasn't until a year later when I got into a pretty bad wreck with one of my horses and broke my back that I realized I needed help. And Charlie kept coming to my mind. I knew that he had something that I didn't and I wanted to learn with him. So I headed to his ranch in Redmond, Oregon to spend some time studying with him. Charlie's one of those people that you only come across once, maybe twice in your lifetime if you're lucky. I'm so grateful to be learning with him and to have the opportunity to share this special man with you. We didn't intend to record what you're going to hear today as a podcast. It was actually meant for a virtual clinic that he and I are working on. But after I listened to it, I realized it would be perfect. And I asked Charlie if he'd be willing to let me share it. And he said, sure. You're going to hear us talk about Charlie's years as a cowboy, his time with Ray Hunt and the influence it had on his life, and also how the way we treat ourselves can impact our horsemanship, and a lot more. You're in for a treat. I hope you enjoy the podcast. How did you get started with horses? How did I get started with horses? Yeah. I hardly remember. Um, but uh, in fact, I could have sent you that picture. Um, I've got a picture of me sitting on an old paint horse. His name was Sitting Bull. And I probably, I might not have been two years old yet. And of course, dad was just standing there holding me and, and mom took the picture. Um, so, so yeah, whatever. Um, Asked me when I got started, you know, my memory, I can remember that old heron place where we lived. And um, I, I can remember how that house was and how the outsides were and the corrals and everything. And that was when I was two years old. Wow. So it's just gone on ever since. I mean, I, I don't remember when, you see, almost before my memory, <laughs> this right. part kicked in. Right. My spirit, my spirit knew, obviously, but before my mental faculties kicked in, it's always been there. And has the desire to, um, you know, work with them been there 
for that long too? Or do you remember a time when you really started going, I think this is what I want to be? No, I, I actually, all I ever want to do is be a cowboy. Um, you know, and of course that entailed horses, but as far as being a horseman, that was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, learning how to ride and rope and, and work cattle and, and work around men and all those kind of things. That was, that was the big deal. And I don't suppose maybe sometime along about where I was in college that uh, for whatever reason, somebody asked me to ride a horse or something. And, and maybe then I started taking a little more interest um, in horsemanship, you might say, but it was still strictly from a cowboy standpoint, you know, get this right. thing saddled and let's go get something done. And, um, and then as time went on, why, as I started riding some horses for the public and some of them got pretty tough. <laughs> and that's the story how I got started with Ray with a horse I knew I couldn't ride. So then to start with Ray and I've been 1980 or 79, 80, 81, somewhere along in there. Well, that's, that's when the horsemanship thing really started to kick in. So, so I'm curious, um, like when you said at an early age, you knew you wanted to be a cowboy, but it wasn't about horsemanship at that point. So in your, in your mind, like how, how are those two things different? How is being a cowboy and being a horseman different? You can have a cowboy that can handle cattle and he can ride, of course he can ride a horse and he can get a lot of things done with a horse in just his everyday work and what he does. Um, but his horsemanship can be really sorry. I mean, um, he can pull on one and spur one around and get stuff to happen. But when it comes to the things like we're talking about now, um, a, a cowboy pretty much could um, only handle certain kind of horses, so to speak. So, so this guy over here, he could ride a pretty tough bronc, but this guy over here couldn't. And, and so the two would never meet. Maybe the guy that could ride the bronc, he could ride this one for, you know, some months. And then the guy that couldn't ride him could take him and maybe make a little better horse out of him because he'd have a little better feel for things. But then you start developing into the horsemanship thing. Um, that starts taking precedence over just what kind of job you can get done. You see, right. that's something that people don't understand that when you get up in the morning and you eat breakfast before the sun comes up and you go catch your horses and uh, you better be saddled up, ready to go because when the boss rides out of the trail, <laughs> you better be going mm -hmm. or you won't have a job. Right. You see, so you weren't too interested in some of the finer things. You're just, anyway, that's, that's kind of the way it works. I've, I've been around guys that can get an old crippled cow to do about anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they were pretty crude with their horses. Right. <laughs> pretty crude. Nowadays, you'll find, you'll find people that are so, so into their horsemanship that you don't even want them around helping you with the cows because they're mm -hmm. just totally worthless. 
you know, and I mean that, and I mean that. That's true. Right. They're they're so having this horse so right and everything that hell, the old milk cow could walk out of the barn and they couldn't stop her. You know, so. So basically, like what you just shared, kind of hit me that one of the differences is for the cowboys, it's the job that takes precedent, right? Like you said, if if the boss leaves, you're out of a job. So it's the it's the task at hand. It's the job that takes precedent. Where with a horseman, it's the horse, the relationship, the quality of the maneuvers that take precedent. So the job might be happening, but the horseman's over there working on some yields. Is that is that about right? That's pretty much. Okay. It's interesting because I think that, you know, with some of the things that we've talked about and that there was such a purpose to like, there's, there's some wonderful things about the life of a cowboy. I mean, there's so much purpose and wonderful things for the horse too, right? Like the miles that they travel, the, they've got a job there, you know, there's a purpose there. And for most of us, most of us horse owners, most people, you know, that are going to be participating in this clinic with you, none of us have cowboyed, you know, none of us yeah. have put in miles like, like you have. And so we have to, um, we have to get things done in a smaller space with less time, less purpose, and it can cause lots of problems. Um, yes. And and that's why I, uh, at this stage in life, that I am so almost adamant about um, having these horses have a good frame of mind, because you do not have just the miles where you can go out and look and you can be around cattle and and things to where sometimes, you know, a, a lot of horses, just that aspect, you'd be surprised what a greenie can get away with where we don't have that today. So it becomes so important to me that this horse learns to let go of what he's thinking. And then then the greener person can maybe get some things to work and have a little enjoyment out of it. See, we don't, and the other thing, we really don't see horses like I used to see years ago and, and then even Ray before me. Some of them snakes, you know, most people today wouldn't even think of trying to put a halter on, let alone brush and saddle and riding, you mm-hmm. see, so. And that's a good thing. Right. Um, but by the same token, let's get this horse to feeling good. Right. Right. You so see. if I understand you correctly, you're saying that because of all of the miles and the environment, there was a lot for the horse to be exposed to, be interested in. Um, they, they, that good frame of mind came because of all the miles. And someone that maybe didn't have a lot of knowledge, like you said, the greenie, uh, could get by because of the situation. Whereas now we don't have that. And that's why you're so, um, like I'll use your word adamant about helping people help their horse, find that good place, find that good frame of mind. Um, is that, is that yes. about right? Okay. Well, oh yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's not something that I really considered until you shared that with me. Cause when I was down there with you, you shared that idea with me that, you know, just what we just said. Um, and I hadn't thought of it that way. What, uh, what was a day on the ranch as a cowboy 
like? I know every day is different, but was it like 20 hour days? I mean, what, what was, what was it like? Well, it depends on the time of year. Of course, one of the old adages is, is we spent three months haying and, and seven months shoveling it out, you know, in the winters, but, but, um, you know, basically as I grew up, um, when, when you really come right down to it, we have really romanticized the horses and the cowboy part of it, because there's a lot of time spent fixing fence, putting up hay. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, just just maintenance chores around a, a ranch to keep the thing from falling down, you know. And then you'd get into the spring of the year where you're calving. Now you're doing quite a little bit more riding, of course. And, um, you know, April and March, April, May, maybe in there, however people do it. And then May and June, you're branding. So you're doing a lot of riding. Well, now you're into June and into July and August and maybe September, depending on the years. Now you're putting up hay. And so all the cowboy chores consist of just going out and checking pastures from time to time, making sure the windmills are working and, and the salt and minerals out and, you know, gates are closed and fences up, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then come along into October and November. Well, now you start getting cattle shaped up together and, and uh, get ready to wean your calves and, and then uh, you get your calves sold, keep your replacement heifers, and now you're starting to feed them. And, and uh, then the winter time comes along, why, um, depending on, on the ranches, and it's, it's changed so much, but depending upon the ranches, why now you're scattering a little protein supplement if them cattle got plenty to graze. And, and so you're out, you know, depending on the size of the ranch, um, you might. Uh, get away from the house at seven o'clock in the morning and and be back at two or three in the afternoon in the wintertime um what we call cake and cattle you know it's just a protein supplement you scatter for them and um maybe cutting cutting ice in the reservoirs or the creek so they could get water and making sure the windmills aren't froze up and all of that stuff so so uh, then you get home at three o'clock and have a big lunch take a nap and and uh then maybe go to the shop and work on a project or you might have some chores to do. It just depends on the ranch and what's going on. Right. You know, the more, um, so. So you weren't, you weren't jumping from a two-story building to jump on the back of your horse and then run through town? No. <laughs> In fact, when I was little, really little, we only went to town like twice a year. Wow. Yeah. In fact, there'd be times going to that country school or there'd be three weeks of shop. You wouldn't even go because we didn't have the four wheel drives and, and them roads out in them branches in. And there are probably still some that way today in some places. But those ranches were just a blade track through the prairie. And mm -hmm. uh, you didn't have nice roads or anything else. So, you know, snow or too much rain or whatever, you didn't go to school. Right. <laughs> you stayed home and mom took care of the deal. So and what was uh, what was the town that you what's that? What was the town? What was the name of the town that you grew up in or grew up near? Um Jordan, Montana, Garfield okay. County. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Southeastern Montana. Mm -hmm. So do you have a, a favorite thing when you look back on all those years? And I know that each ranch you were at was 
probably different and uh, the work you were doing was different, but is, is there something that you look back on and go, you know, that was, that was a really great part of it. Well, you can laugh at this, but see most ranches when I was young growing up, weren't just cattle ranches and particularly in that area, they ran a band of sheep with cattle. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things was a night lambing a band of ewes. And what, in, what is that? Well, so you'd, you'd be in lambing season, you'd have those, those, you'd, you'd have those sheep gathered up in a, in a set of pens in a big shed there. And so you've got a, is that you drops a lamb, you got to get her gathered up and, and put her in what, in a little four by four jug, we call them a jug inside a shed. So, so her and them lambs can get bonded together and they can make sure they suck and those kind of things. Oh, wow. And um, one of my absolutely, and you you know, you're probably going to laugh, but, but it's still true. One of my favorite sounds is to walk into a lamb and shed at night and listen to the sound of them ewes and them lambs talking back and forth to one another. And, um, you know, and here I am a cowboy and all that stuff, but. but <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. And then the other thing for me was branding. I, um, to go to a branding and brand calves, I don't care how hot it is. Or I don't care. That is a holiday to me. I, I could, I could do that. I, I don't know how much of it I do for I get sick of it, uh -huh. but. Uh, <laughs> and what, what about it made it feel that way? Was it just the camaraderie, the, what, what, what made it feel like a holiday? Well, I've never thought about that much, but, but I think for the fact that way back then you'd have, um, a number of ranches scattered over quite a territory and maybe say maybe 10, 15, 20 ranches and, and they'd all get together to help one another. So you come to my place and then your place and then somebody else's and, and, uh, and then the ladies would always come and provide lunch when you was done, you know, and, and uh, there were just lots going on. I mean, yeah. you got to, and see, like I say, all I ever want to do is be a cowboy. So I could be around some of that and I could see guys, how they work their horses, how they rope, how they handle cattle. And I've been blessed with a pretty good powers of observation. And I could say, I could say how this guy got it done. And so then I'd try to emulate that, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and then, you know, of course, just uh, there's, there's nothing better than a group of people getting together to do something. Yeah. I don't care if it's a branding or putting a roof on a building. I don't care what it is. There's nothing better. Yeah. Nothing. We were, we are created to do that. You see? Yeah. Wow. yeah. I, I agree. And I mean, it sounds, it, it, there's an element of like a family reunion aspect where you're sharing stories of the year, but that, but there's something really powerful about saying, Hey, I'm going to help you guys out with something at your place. And then, you know, everybody comes and helps you at your place. And that that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing. And even seeing, even the kids would be included, um, you know, depending on the bent of the child, but, but, uh, a little kid could have some sort of job carrying a nut bucket or something, you know, um, getting water for somebody or, or, or the kids might just be out, be playing in the dirt. And, and quite frankly, they'd be, playing cowboys and Indians and riding their stick horses or something, you know, right. I mean, that's, right. that's what we yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, maybe when it come time to eat, why some of the, 
little gals that was, you know, like about Addie's age, she could pitch in and kind of help get stuff ready. And so it was a place that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I, I didn't, I had no idea uh, that it was so culturally rich. And I mean, that's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful story. Really oh cool. yeah. Yeah. For fact. Yeah. Yeah. So you could have, oh, go you ahead. could have people that might not think too much of his neighbor and might say something to another neighbor about a neighbor derogatorily, but yet when it comes time for some work to be done, they'd all be there to help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's kind of strange, but, but for a fact. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. And they all weren't that way. You know, I mean, there was, there was the outliers and stuff, but, but I, I wouldn't wonder that, that there were a few years in there in my high school years where probably we might have branded somewhere between 10 and 15,000 head of calves wow. amongst all the neighbors. Wow. You know, we'd, we'd spend three weeks at it, you know, and, uh, and of course, then you learn, um, you learn the jobs from the ground up. So mm -hmm. you don't get to rope till you get to a certain age and proficiency. Mm -hmm. You learn all the grunt work to start with, you see, mm -hmm. and as time goes on. And then they don't do that today. How they let anybody rope or do whatever. And most right. of them can't do any of it good enough to, you know. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the days can get really long. I mean, the summer times, you know, daylight till dark so just figure that but then in the winter time you see then then the days get shorter so you, naturally you don't have so much to do right and you get into those times where you get rid of them hard winters and and you got three foot of snow on the ground and um they can be backbreakers and you you get into a when you're calving and lambing in the spring and you get into those storms you know you can go you can go three or four days without much to eat or drink or sleep, you know, trying to take care of livestock. Yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to compare to, you know, I think about when we have winter storms now and it's like, you know, and where I live, it's there oh, yeah. nothing compared to where you were. But the big oh, yeah. complaint is we can't get to the coffee shop. Yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> you know so. and I, I, we had a lot of Basque sheep herders in our area when I was a kid and they made quite an influence on me because I, those guys would give their life for a band of sheep hmm. and you get into one of them spring storms or winter storms. And, and I, I don't know, I'll swear they'd go a week without eating or sleeping, you know, to take care of them sheep. And that, that affected me somehow when I was a kid. And, um, I still, I'm still a stockman in that regard. I mean, the, the well being of livestock, is important to me i i lovingly joke with people you know that guess who's coming to dinner movie of spencer tracy and sydney poitier mm -hmm. and he said to sydney poitier uh, sydney poitier said to spencer tracy he said you dance the watusi but we are the watusi and so when i get around people and they're talking about taking care of livestock you see um i am the watusi i understand stockmanship and taking mm -hmm. care of livestock Mm -hmm. And it kind of ties in with the horsemanship thing today. You see, a lot of people want to provide a 
a shelter and this and that, something else for their horse, but they're not taking care of an important part to me. Mm -hmm. If that horse, if that horse, he could stand and slop up to his knees and be totally happy. Mm -hmm. And yet he can be in the finest establishment man could build and be so schizophrenic that it's pathetic. Right. See? Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of, you see, that's kind of through my life is kind of built into this thing right now to where you see why, why just good stockmanship is so important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I it's yeah. I'm really glad I asked you. Welcome to the commercial break. First, I'd like to share with you a really unique opportunity to learn with Charlie from the comfort of your home. When I first started studying with Charlie, I knew he had something really special. And after many conversations, he agreed to try out sharing his experience virtually. So now, Shine a Light Productions, aka me, is grateful to present Letting Go of Trouble, a two-week virtual clinic with Charlie Snell, starting September 18th. You can find out more about it in a link in the show notes, or if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll include a link in the comments below. I'm excited to tell you about one of my favorite raincoat companies and one of my favorite people. Nancy Blystone has a fabulous raincoat company specifically made for equestrians. It's called Muddy Creek Rain Gear and I love my raincoat. I wear it all fall, winter and in Washington state basically all year long. And I literally, I've told people this, when I put my hood on and I feel the rain on it, or hear the rain on it, it feels like I'm in a tent camping and it brings back wonderful memories and I feel happy in this coat. It is really comfortable to ride in. And she is just an amazing person who inspires other riders around her and is a fabulous businesswoman. So I would highly encourage you to check out Muddy Creek Rain Gear at muddycreek.net. Now, back to the conversation with Charlie. Can you talk a little bit about Ray, Ray Hunt and, uh, and the, what he, like when you first met him, what was the big shift that happened for you with, cause that, to me, that seems like that's kind of where you went from being a cowboy to a horseman. Well, I saw things done with the horse that I didn't know could be done. And when I took that, when I first went to see Ray and I took that brown colt that I knew I couldn't ride, I couldn't ride one side of him in the best day of my life. Mm -hmm. And when Ray got done saddling him, well, he saddled him, turned him out the arena, and that horse went to bucking so hard. Them stirrups had come clear up over the top of his saddle, do like that. And of course, them cowboys are all standing around, well, who's going to have to ride that SOB? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there just choking on my spit going, yeah, it's going to have to be me. Right. Well, when when he got them 12 or 15 colt saddle and run them all back in that round pen and then roped them horses and and his mine was the first one he caught. And he led him around a little bit and and then told me to pull up my cinches and and uh, and then told me to get on and, and he said, just start petting his horse. And he says, whatever you do, he says, don't get tight because he won't disappoint you. Well, you know, I don't know if I could spit for an hour. 
I mean, I was just almost terrified, but something come over me and I got, I got fine with it. Well, you see, when I saw, we were there for five day clinic and I took that colt home and went to riding him for another 30 days for, for Frank. And that colt was a daggone nice ride. It wasn't funny. Better than anything I'd ever rode in my life. Hmm. And, and so that's got to make an impression. I mean, if sure. you've got a brain. <laughs> Absolutely. And so when I saw that, well, then, yeah, you know, I mean, let's say, say the rest is history. I mean, I was hooked. I knew there was something there that, that nobody else had and, or not that I'd have been exposed to, you know. Right. And, and I would imagine that, you know, coming from your background, meeting somebody like Ray, because you guys had very similar backgrounds. He had cowboyed for years and years, right? Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Okay. And so there probably was an instant respect for, because of that, but then oh, yeah. you saw him, saw him doing things different than you'd, you'd seen. Oh yeah. And, and Ray, I, I, he never said this to me and I may, it just be me a little pipe dream of my own, but I think, I think Ray held guys like myself that made their living cowboy. And I think he kind of held them in, pretty high regard i mean he had a kind of a place in his heart for them yeah because he he'd been through all of that and he knew what it was like to to work for the for the good bosses and the poor bosses and and so he understood all of that and and uh we had a lot of fun back in those early years because most of it was cowboys so we we learned to do some things that as years went on he couldn't do because greener people got into it so so he learned to do some things better himself mm -hmm. right to be able to explain things to a, a new group of people with different experiences oh yeah you see if you can take a horse that's a little touchy and a little bit defensive but you've got a guy that can ride pretty good and he's starting to understand some things you can let him get on right but i couldn't let you get on that touchy defensive horse no nope. <laughs> uh -uh. i wouldn't get on him today myself right but you yeah. see so he learned that as years he did a clinic in california I don't know when, sometime back. And I, th I think there was like 12 Colts in this thing. And I don't remember for sure now, but five of them were studs all owned by ladies. And uh, I didn't see it. Carolyn was telling me about it. And she said, if that wasn't something to watch, watch Ray, get that to work. Hmm. Just sitting on the edge of your sheet, wondering these little stud horses, you know, how they can be. And, and these gals and, and some of them were really green. They couldn't hardly ride. Mm -hmm. And he got all the work. So, <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, I, I've heard somewhere I don't remember where I heard this, but that that there was a period where you'd go to see a Ray Ray teach, and it was all of the cowboys were riding, or all the you know people that were really good riders were in in riding, and then there was some transition where you'd go, and pretty soon all of the cowboys were sitting out on the round pen. Uh, watching and the people that should have been sitting on the round pen watching were riding and uh yeah and so that's interesting that you said that you know he had to become much better I mean it makes sense that he had to become much better to be able to get the horses good enough that they could I could ride one and and live through it so yeah, yeah. and that's the that's the other thing that is is you get hooked into this thing Ray always said, he said, there's way more, there's way more. This isn't the end of the deal. Right. And so you're always looking, he was his own best student. 
and what you guys, I kind of kid you sometimes, you're my guinea pigs because I'm mm -hmm. watching to see what, well, let's see how this works. Sure. And sometimes somebody will say something, you know, they'll say, well, why did you let, let him or her do that? Well, that's my business. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> well, you see, I'm wondering because you don't know, you don't know how somebody can get along with a horse and be just quite fine without having to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. See? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's all like we've talked about before. There's so much of an experiment with this whole thing, you know, oh, with, with the things that you're doing with the horses, but like you're saying with the things that you're doing with students, like, you know, let me try this and see what happens. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that makes, exactly. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm always interested in uh, how people make it through times that are hard learning. Like, you know, because I think all of us, no matter what you do, um, learning can be really challenging. You know, it, it's humbling and um, it's you've it, no matter who you are, it can feel really awkward and you can feel really stupid and, you know, all those things. But to be able to get to the level that you are at, you've gone through a lot of learning. You've gone through a lot of moments of feeling awkward and, you know, and um, it, can you think of a time that was particularly challenging and what, what kept you going? What got you through it? Mm -hmm. Well, I think maybe what got me through it was my desires from a little, from a child. All, all I've ever wanted, I've never wanted to fly airplanes. I never wanted to do anything but be a cowboy. So, and I, and I believe those are things that the Lord gives us, you see, in our lives that, that somewhere as we go through life, they get unpacked and, and we eventually come to a place that we really enjoy what we're doing. Yeah, I really don't know how to answer that. Um, the because yes, there are trying to learn can be difficult. We cannot, in my opinion, we cannot learn if we hold on to negativity. I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. Oh, I wish I could do this better. You've already hobbled yourself, and I sometimes forbid people around me to be negative mm -hmm. because you can't and and so many people want well tell me what to do sit up straight do this no i'm not no come on i want you to find the joy in yourself i, I don't i wouldn't care if you're learning how to run a typewriter it wouldn't matter to me right you see you can't you can't do this don't do that you that negativity comes in there will so stifle your learning and then if you've got some issues anger issues or you know and we've all got stuff, Molly, but if there's any part of us approaching this horse thing, and you've heard me say it, you know, I need to turn the horse loose and put you in a round pen. But for, for us as humans to change can be an excruciating process. If, if we know, see what you don't know is, is the anger that I used to carry as a young man. And it, it was so bad that, that um, I'd have cramps in my jaws at night and I couldn't hardly eat supper just because I'd be just so furious about some things. Well, when you start trying to work through some of those things, 
um, to know that there's a better place out, out the other side, but to learn to get healed and let go of that can be very excruciating, you see. Mm-hmm. And some people just do not want, they would rather live with the demons they know than go through this process. And, and I'm not a psychologist and all of that stuff. I'm just, just talking about how I've lived my life. Right. Knowing how, what I was and, and, and where the Lord's brought me today, you see. So, so the learning thing, and it's different for everybody. Everybody. Yeah not one size and we've talked about that a little bit Mm -hmm. everybody's got a some people can understand concepts spoken and apply it some people are so visual they need to see it and they need to see it over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. again that's just the way it is yep and so if quite frankly if you go to a clinic it's just a source of information it's not a place where they learn something it's Mm -hmm. a source of information Mm -hmm. but then when you get to go home and you start to try and apply, now maybe you can start to learn. Right. See? Right. <laughs> right. Like it or not, you know? <laughs> and I was just I was just talking to somebody else about this phenomena of um, and I think it's a it's it's trying to stay comfortable, but the phenomena of someone going to a clinic, coming home, not doing the practice, then going to another clinic coming home, not doing the practice. Cause there's, you know, there's something, um, it's, it's, you have this hope that this one, this clinic is going to fix it all right. In those three days, this is going to fix it all. Right. And I think that's so, so incredibly important. What you just shared that the clinic is not the place of learning. It's the place of information. It's like going to the library and getting a bunch of books, but if you don't go home and read them, it's still just a pile of books. Exactly. And everybody's so different. I just, just to my nature, and of course, you know, Ray gave us the permission to try and fail. I mean, there was, he, I mean, I knew that from the get go. And, and so I would, I would try some things and get so frustrated. And some of them were so wrong, so brutally wrong. It's like I look back and I go, my land almighty, Charles, what in the world? But but through that, you see, <laughs> I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. See, it didn't bother me. I could make, it didn't bother me to make a mistake. But I, I had enough sense about me, what I was doing, that I could learn from it, you see. Right. And some people are just afraid to make a mistake. They're... They're so concerned they're going to screw this horse up or or whatever. No, you know, come on. You've heard me say it. If if you and I work together and you go home and you wreck this horse, if you've wrecked him so bad that I can't get him back, I have not done my job to start with. Mm. See? Right. And I mean that with all my heart. Mm-hmm. See, I mean everything in me. You're mm-hmm. not going to go home. You're going to try things, and I hope you would. And Well, some of it works, some of it don't. But then you learn. Then, then it becomes how your your understanding and and that that starts the thing to where you start to think and be more creative. Right. So you can't be creative if you're relying on somebody to tell you what to do. Right. Go make your own mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. It's so good. And I think I think you know I don't know where along the line it happens for all of us, but you know I think some of it maybe we're just born with, but 
you know, as we go along and we're influenced by different people and, you know, different uh, movies or, you know, whatever, all the different pieces that influence us along the way, we start to pick up little pieces of what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be uh, a learner? You know, and I know early on in my life as a kid, um, I picked up that if, if things didn't come easy for me, then I wasn't going to be good at it. I don't know where, where I picked that up, but I remember my mom, when I was five years old, signed me up for gymnastics and I was so excited. I, I really wanted to do it. And we walked into the gym and there were all these girls you know, they were flipping around on, you know, rings and tumbling and doing all these amazing things. And I just had this moment of, oh, I can't do any of that. And, and I quit. Oh. I, 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 I left oh, and I, I quit. And it wasn't until later in my life that I started to understand that it's that awkwardness falling on your face, getting back up, falling again, you know, all those it's, it is part of the, it's part of the deal. It's part of the process. And, and now I look at it and it's exciting to me because I know, you know, when I'm feeling awkward, um, I know it's a sign that I'm moving to the next level. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get better. Well, if you're fortunate enough, particularly when you're little to be surrounded by the right environment, that some people it takes them till way into their thirties or forties, maybe fifties, to start making connections with other people and, and to find out, well, no, yeah, maybe this is what I can do, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, but it's never too late to make a change and, you know, improve ourselves and all that good stuff. Well, I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, there's only one alternative to that as far as I'm concerned. And, it's six feet deep so yeah um I'll, yep. I'll, I'll stick with what you know and and I, you know and i think it helps to have a love of people i think it just helps to be a lover period yeah and i'm not talking about that and you know how just to love people yeah love no I, I gotcha have something about you that that i don't care what's going on around you it isn't all bad mm -mm. you see and that comes into that negativity thing you see so yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's really great. Yeah. I got to tell you uh real quick last night I woke up in the middle of the night like I woke up at 2:30 and I had all these different things this this putting this clinic together was on my mind and um and I had a meeting at five o'clock this morning with someone in England via Zoom that I was all trying to figure out, you know, in the middle of the night. And I was laying there going, okay, this is the time that I need to be recharging. And, you know, <laughs> this is not the time that I need to be figuring all this stuff out. And I had this big, clear realization of I needed to, I needed to let it go. <laughs> and I said that to myself, I was like, let it go, let it go. And then the other thing that I realized is I don't know about you. I don't know if you're, if you can be hard on yourself. I would guess you probably can. Well, I used to be, but okay. no, I'm, no, not anymore. I, okay. I'm, 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 I'm all right. In my own hide anymore. I don't. Okay. That's yeah. really cool. Um, th that's probably why this 
you presenting this idea to a horse of let it go and you're able to meet them when they let it go you're able to meet them with this sense of peace and uh uh kindness that's probably why that comes so easily for you um because you're able to do that for yourself but last night i was like you know let it go let it go and i when i was able to let it go i felt a sense of kindness and like and and i thought oh my gosh this is it this is what i need to be doing because if what i can tend to do to myself is i'll say let it go and then i'm like why are you doing that you know right why this is you're you're so silly all the horrible things that i i can say that's an example of somebody doing that with their horse and their horse then lets it go and the person's still grumbling and you know they're full of emotion yeah so there's a story that got me started on that years ago and i don't know the name of the tennis player he was back about mcenroe's time as i understand and uh, maybe i should do some research so i can be more authoritative on that but but he had a reputation for being able to return those 90 and 100 mile an hour serves back to people better than anybody in the business hmm. and somebody asked him well, how, how you're so good at that? He said, I'm at perfect rest. He said, when, when somebody, he said, I'm not wondering, there's no thought going in my mind wondering how I am going to return that serve. He said, I am just at rest there waiting for it. And he says, I see that thing coming before it gets to me. And he could stuff them back down their throats one after another. Hmm. And, and when I heard that story, it just like the Lord tipped something over in me. <sighs> Let's be real here. Jesus was at perfect rest at the whipping post. Mm -hmm. See, he wasn't concerned about what was coming. Mm -hmm. And and when that when that flipped in me, it made a big change. You see, I now when you're not concerned about things, so you're not concerned about your 5 a.m. thing, you could step into that and it'll flow because mm -hmm. you're not concerned about it. Right. Right. <laughs> so, and you're ready, you're ready for what comes exactly i mean your mind isn't taxed with this or that or whatever it's just you see and and then and then when you get to deal with these horses then you start to see things that you never saw before see yeah that's really that's really interesting because that that's such a great example with the tennis player um you know in a split second so he returns the serve and then in a split second he's got to be at, at rest again and or or whatever I can't remember. Is that what you said at rest? Yeah, at rest. Yeah, yeah he was at rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> and he's got her. He's got to return a ninety mile an hour serve coming down the pike at him. You see, right? That's really good. That's really good. Let it, it, go. Let it go is a pretty good song. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I'm a rabbit trail here just a little bit, but yeah. And it's something else that I picked up years ago. But they know that when, when the mind gets troubled, if you can hum or sing or whistle a tune, you can retract the brain. Yeah. So my wife would say, well, I know you're mad about something. And I'd say, yeah, honey, I am. But I'm not going to let that, what I'm mad about, come out here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing a song, you see. 
whistle or, or hum or something. And they, they absolutely know that that can reprogram the brain. Yeah, that's really good. See, so if, well, if, you're around me and if you're around me and you're hearing me humming, you know, I'm probably upset about something. <laughs> that. That doesn't happen so much anymore. It really yeah. does not. Right. But years ago, years ago, something would come up and, and you're talking about a guy that, you know, you don't know about all the anger issues I had to work through years ago, mm -hmm. you see. Mm -hmm. But every time that had come up, I'd start to sing a song. And, you know, whatever. Uh, I think it's an amazing thing. That is. And I do, I do believe that music, it, 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 uh, it touches a different part of our brain. Oh, honey. And, right. <laughs> like <laughs> all the stories that you hear about people either like with Alzheimer's or maybe a, a head injury that lose their memory, but they can still sing songs. Yes. There's something real interesting about it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. That reminded me of a, of a story when um, Pat was um, leading a cult start and uh on the, the day of the first ride, we would all just be on and the, the horses would be moving around together in a herd. And the people were just up there as passengers. Yeah. And, um, and he actually, the one that I participated in, it was a, it was a student of Pat's that led me in it, but uh, he, he had us all do the same thing, but Pat would always have people um, sing a song while they were up there riding because he knew that most of those people were tight as all get out and they weren't able to hold on to that. They'd, they'd relax and, you know, start to flow and have some fun. And so we're up there singing, row, row, row your boat. And it starts off row, row, you know, it's just super tight. And then pretty soon, ah, oh, it helped. It helped me a lot. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Ray <laughs> used to say whistle and grin and ride. You see, Whistle and grin and ride. What a pleasure it's been to get to know Charlie. I hope you picked up a thing or two for your own horsemanship or really for your own life. If you'd like to know more about the virtual clinic that's coming up with Charlie on September 18th, you can uh, see the link in the show notes, or if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll post it in the comments. Thank you for joining in on this adventure. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you would share it. And I'd like to leave you with one of my favorite quotes from Roy T. Bennett. Believe in yourself. You are braver than you think, more talented than you know, and capable of more than you imagine. Have a wonderful rest of your day.